Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, welcome along to this podcast episode of Seeds. Today we get the chance to speak with Joanna Norris, who's the CEO of Christchurch NZ, and we learn a lot about Christchurch's past, present, and future. Here's an excerpt of the interview with Joanna. Mm-hmm. And I got a call asking whether I'd be interested in coming down to eat at the press. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, really? Moved to an earthquake devastated city, mm-hmm. very young children. Um, gosh. <laughs> reporting <laughs> reporting on major issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you thought long and hard about that? Uh, probably for a half an hour. Okay. Um, <laughs> what an incredible opportunity sure, for a journalist yeah. to report on what we hope will be once in a lifetime events. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the build, the, the devastation of a city, the complete. Uh, gutting of a central city, the, the the mass movement of people as a consequence of entire suburbs being uh, mm-hmm. profoundly impacted, and then um, a city that was going to need to lay its building blocks and completely grow into something different is yeah. incredible professional opportunity and a, an enormously exciting and privilege to be part of. Mm. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Joanna because as well as talking about Christchurch, we also talk about her former life as a journalist and the role that journalism plays in the world today. If you enjoy this interview with Joanna, keep in mind that it's one of 85 episodes that I've done, each time profiling a different person and trying to get to the why of who they are and why they do what they do. If you had subscribed in the podcast app that you're using to listen to this, that's one way to ensure that you won't miss out on future episodes as they're released. There's also a Facebook page with behind-the-scenes information and pictures and profiles if you want to find that to find out more about the podcast. Now let's get into this interview with Joanna. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Joanna Norris, who's the CEO of Christchurch NZ. Thank you for joining me today. Kia ora, it's great to be here. Um, it's really wonderful to have you on this show because we keep bumping into each other at different events. <laughs> and I've said several times I'd love to have you on the podcast, so I appreciate you making time. Yeah, well, that's one of the neat things about Christchurch, isn't it, is that um, we always see each other and we're always able to swap good ideas and um, it's really nice to actually sit down and talk formally. Yeah, exactly. So what we do on this podcast, I talk with a range of different people and try to get different perspectives on life and their journeys and really learn from each other. Um, And I'd love to talk about Christchurch, obviously. (laughs) That's going to be the theme of our conversation. But before we do that, I'd love to rewind and talk with you about your own life and what sort of led you to this point. Um, So if the the opening question is simple, where are you from? That's a really difficult question for me to answer, Um, partly because there are geographical places that have shaped me Mm -hmm. over the course of my life, um, but there are also um, philosophical and, and a number of influences that shape the kind of decisions you make as an adult. So mm. um, from a geographical perspective, I was born in Kaitaia, right at the top of the North Island of New Zealand. Mm. And um, my parents were um, genuine hippies. So they were a product of, of their time. Um, it was in the 70s. And we lived in a valley where a lot of like-minded people were committed to sustainability and were forming um, a type of commune environment where um, there was a lot of commitment to thinking about how to sustain life on the planet and grow your own food. And mm. um, my parents, um, my father was an incredibly creative person. Um, he made most of the furniture in our home. He built our home. We lived off the land. Wow. And um, so that was very much has shaped me, I think, as a, as a person. And what had drawn um, them to that? Uh, I think um, their parents in turn were... Um, had lived through the war, were very conservative, Mm -hmm. and um, both of my parents were younger children with much older siblings. And they, in many ways, were uh, reacting to a lot of the sort of conservative constraints of the 1950s and and were coming of age in the 60s. Right. And as a consequence, they were the first of that generation to be really testing what it meant to be a New Zealander Mm -hmm. and 
and that led to some really interesting life decisions that they mm. made, and they were really unconventional right throughout my childhood. Because mm. um, you're right, because up until that point, when you think about New Zealand, it, it really had that colonial link back to England, didn't it? Because I've interviewed a couple different people who talked about World War II, and even in World War II, people were signing up for king and country, you know, even though they'd never set foot back in England, it was very much a link Exactly right. We really didn't start to form a true national identity uh, until very recently. And I think Mm. um, our generation Mm. um, is in somewhat a a product of some of that that thinking around what what it means to be a Kiwi. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, So you're growing up in that environment. And I guess for you, that was normal, right? Uh, yes, although we left um, that area in Northland when I was six and moved to Dunedin, which was quite a different, oh. massive change. And again, my parents had just decided to move to the opposite end of the country, uh, almost on a whim. They wanted a, a different lifestyle again, mm-hmm. and this, this was at the, the sort of the next phase of their lives. And again, um, my parents managed to always find the most creative people in the community to connect with. So we had a lot of artists in our home when I was mm. growing up. Um, art was always, art and creating and creativity mm. was a very strong part of my childhood. Mm. So what sort of um, outworking did that take for you then, you know, as a young a young person? Did you in- like, did you enjoy painting or writing, or what, well, what, what form did it take? Always had a very strong connection to music, so I played the violin okay. um, right throughout my childhood and, and into adulthood. Um, but in some ways, Stephen, I'm embarrassed to admit it. Possibly, I was the responsible one in the family as the oldest child. Um, while my parents were, um, you know, testing <laughs> different boundaries, I was the one who was always worrying, and, and, <laughs> and as a consequence, probably uh, became a little bit conservative, and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, but and you re- can trace that back even to the young age. Yeah, there, sort yeah. Of well, my father um, had a very reasonably serious depression right throughout my childhood, and that very um, that, that was always a, a backdrop of our family situation. Right. Um, that there were periods when Dad was uh, very withdrawn and very severely depressed, and mm-hmm. I think I felt a um, a responsibility to right, to care the for the family child, as so the eldest child. Right, yeah, yeah, to make sure everything was on an even keel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to overstate that. Um, but I do feel the strong responsibility to um, both my family, but also to the wider community, to really lead a purpose-led life and mm-hmm. make a strong commitment to to doing good and 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 making the most of the life that we have. Mm-hmm. And that was a sense right through. Let's take it up a little bit. Sort of your high school, teenage years as well. Or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, honestly, I'm not. I'm not that interesting as a person. I lived a, a lovely childhood in Dunedin. It's a beautiful place to grow up. A lovely community. Mm-hmm. Um, my family valued education, so I went on to university. Um, my first year at Otago University, and then transferred uh, up to Auckland University, where I finished my degree mm. and ended up going to journalism school. Mm. And had you known in high school that that was sort of the leaning or um, the 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 way that you wanted to go, like. I always, um, because of the kind of upbringing I had, I always considered that creativity would be part of my life's, um, my my career, and as a consequence I'd done an arts degree, um, and uh, journalism felt like a natural next step, and it was um, at the time when publications like North and South were very, very strong, and um, and, they they remain strong, but in a slightly different context. Um, The newspapers had great influence on the way that New Zealanders uh, got information about their lives, and so journalism, and print journalism in particular, because Mm -hmm. this was Mm pre-internet, Remember those days? Crazy. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Remember getting my first email address, right? Like, yeah. Well what is this thing? <laughs> that's the thing? When I started as a journalist um, just over 20 years ago, we didn't have email in our newsrooms, and then we got one computer, and we would email, you know, this 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 weird thing where you sort of would take turns to send these emails. And so, <laughs> so it's just crazy now to think about the way we exchange information. And, it is. Uh, yeah. And also to think about children today who just, uh, what we're talking about sounds like we were born centuries ago, doesn't it? Like that's right. pre-email, <laughs> pre-instant communication. Right. I love to tell my kids when um when I was a very young child back up in, in Kaitaia, we had a party line, which is you know a telephone line that you share with in, in our case six other people, right. our neighbours, and we'd have to pick up the phone, or my parents would, and say working, working, and there'd be people on the line talking to other people. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> it's amazing how so much has changed with the with technology. That's right, yeah. just in our lifetimes, yeah. and, and I don't even feel that old. But yeah, <laughs> interesting. So you you was there a point then then you, that you you had a conversation or you thought journalism school this is for me? Like what was it that because you'd done your BA? Yeah, was there a point that? Y- yeah, well, um, I oh, look honestly. I, I feel like this is not that interesting to your listeners, but I um, had intended to do a bachelor of music um, in addition to my arts degree in English. Um, but at Auckland University at the time, there was um, you know a wonderful group of um, a strong academics who who had an absolute love of literature and New Zealand literature, right. and so I really committed to my English and history degrees and finished those and then was like, oh, probably need to get a bit serious and earn some money. And I didn't have, you know, wealth behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, and journalism school felt like a really um, pragmatic and tactical way to mm-hmm. um, actually get and a job. And I guess to take the skills that you'd learned in your, you know, yeah, yeah. English and, and history. And history, history yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And also I think I'm just naturally a really curious person. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing about journalism is you really do have this enormous privilege of interacting with a, the, the, the entire spectrum mm. of um, society from the, the most powerful to the most vulnerable and mm. to be able to to encounter that spectrum on a daily basis is just a, a wonderful privilege of mm. being a journalist. Yeah well, I'd love to talk about journalism but you mentioned a word there curious what do you think had sparked that curiosity for you or where can you trace it back to your parents or? Yeah I think um, both my mother and my father um, were intensely curious people and um, my dad in particular was always trying to work out how things worked and not only that how he could then go and go on to cr- uh, create those things so right. he'd, he'd see a particular piece of beautiful joinery and then he'd come home and he'd make a chair right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> and as a consequence we've still got a lot of dad's chairs <laughs> right yeah oh that's cool yeah it's a word that I love because I use, I try to use it deliberately on this podcast I'll say I'm curious, da da da, and I'm not sure if the listeners pick it up. But the reason I'm doing that is I think it's such a, you know, that's the opening of the door, isn't it? That's the exactly being right. Being curious, eh? and then something new will reveal itself yeah. if, if you have the curiosity. But I think, Stephen, not not everybody is curious. Mm. They mm. Um, there are some people who are really self-contained and they're really happy to to live their lives in a particular way, and they don't necessarily want to let. Um, the influences of others in, and yeah. I think it's a real privilege if you are born with that natural curiosity, which which yeah. obviously you are, and, and are demonstrating through these these podcasts, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, well, we each do what we can, don't we? So you you go to journalism school, and then what was your next step? Did you start with a local newspaper or something? Or um, that, no, I was very lucky actually. My first job was at the Dominion in Wellington okay. before it was the Dominion Post. Mm. And um, that was a wonderful time for newspapering in uh, New Zealand. We had, um, in, in Wellington, we had both the Dominion and the Evening Post. Mm-hmm. They were owned by the same company, but fiercely competitive. Right. And it was, um, it heralded in many ways um, the an intense competition that occurs through, as a consequence of the internet. But oh. we were always, uh, I remember very, very acutely, I was a young police reporter, going to an event and been um, racing to get there before the Evening Post journalist. Right. Um, so you were looking around the room. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who's here? <laughs> and, you know, at the time there were a huge number of media agencies right. based in the capital. It was a really exciting time to be a young journo. Right. And I always felt um, the privilege of being able to write words that influenced others. Mm. Uh, just a quick anecdote, I, I was living in Karori in Wellington and I caught the bus um, to work each day and I remember sitting on the bus one day and there was a, um, a, a what I perceived to be a businessman sitting opposite me and he was very serious in a suit and mm-hmm. he was old and uh, you know a serious member of society and I was sitting there this young 20 year old kid and he was reading my story right and um, <laughs> I was like man that's cool yeah. <laughs> I just felt like this young kid and here was this important member of society being influenced yes. by the work I had done and that was that felt amazing so that was a, a, a moment for you I guess that said this is this is the right path yeah and I think it reinforced that responsibility that journalists have to hold a mirror up to society and to be really robust in the way um, that information is reported and make sure that it's fair and accurate because it is taken seriously by people who in turn make decisions on behalf of others and that's mm. that's a great responsibility for journalists. Yeah, so the, the era that we're talking about it's sort of late 1990s, is that right? Or? Yeah, so I, I finished journalism school in, uh, gosh, 
97. Mm-hmm. Yeah, late 90s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, I was in Wellington from 2001 till 2004. Um, yeah, and always would read the, the papers that we're talking about, yeah, but yeah. didn't realize all the rivalry that was going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other really neat thing about that era was that Wellington was really starting to find itself. Mm. It had done the work around Absolutely Positively Wellington, and right. um, at the time, Te Papa was about to be built, mm-hmm. Frank Hitz Park was... Um, under consideration and so it was starting to find its feet moving from a town of um, walk shorts and um, you know bureaucrats to something a little bit more exciting mm-hmm. and starting to embrace its mm-hmm. natural environment in the and harbour. maybe an embracing a bit of the Cuba Street sort of yes. quirkiness right? Yeah, like, exactly right yeah. and, it, and until that time Wellington had been a really very conservative and dull place but yeah. it was starting to find its sense of itself as a city mm-hmm. and that era in turn has influenced my current career. So watching Wellington mm. go through that evolution mm. feels very important to me now as we make decisions for Christchurch. Mm. Interesting. Well, let's, again, let's trace that history when we get up to what <laughs> you're doing now. <laughs> no, no, it's good though. See, this is why I like to ask these questions because you get, because I could have started out like, tell me about Christchurch NZ, but now we're getting a, a bigger picture yeah. of the scheme of, you know, what the influences are, which I always think it's, it's much more rich, you know, much deeper. Yeah, so, cool. yeah. So you're there working um, in Wellington. How long were you there for, and what what came next? Um, just a few years there, uh, three years, I think. Mm-hmm. I have to look back for the exact dates, but yeah, around, around that time. And then um, my um, boyfriend at the time, he's now my husband, and I decided to go and do our OE, and so we moved across to the UK. Or we mm-hmm. did the usual thing, travelled through Southeast Asia and had a look around the world and all of those things you do mm-hmm. at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved to London and we worked um, for a variety of publications uh, across mm-hmm. London and then ended up in Cambridge working for a newspaper in Cambridge, mm-hmm. which was really, really good fun as well. And um, that was that period of exploration where we spent a lot of time um, looking at what was happening in Europe and mm-hmm. um, just understanding that New Zealand was only a little part of the world. Mm-hmm. And Cambridge is very uh, university focused. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Amazing town, isn't it? Beautiful town. Yeah. And it was a real privilege to, um, again, work as part of that community and mm-hmm. see just how important um, you know the university is in the city. But also, again, at that time, um, a lot of work was being done to set up what's now known as Silicon Fen, um, with uh, a large number of tech companies moving into Cambridge, and that was um, seeing the real opportunity that a city takes in investing in a sector, um, which is very strongly connected to its tertiary sector, mm-hmm. and that had um, a significant impact on Cambridge beyond the university itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I can see another little building block yeah. for what we'll talk about soon. <laughs> so um, that time in the UK, did that reinforce your identity as a New Zealander? Or what what were you feeling there? Or were you thinking about it at all? I think it's inevitable when you are an expat that you do start to reflect on you know, your nation's place in the world. I don't think I necessarily actively thought it through, but mm-hmm. it certainly, I do recall returning to New Zealand and having a different um, perception of New Zealand and its place in the world, which is mm. not possible until you leave. Mm. Mm. Which I guess is the value of the OE experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so, what came next? Did you come back to yeah, New Zealand my, my straight away, or my father was diagnosed with um, terminal cancer, mm-hmm. and that we I got a phone call uh, one morning. It was my birthday actually, one morning, and um, that he had only two days to live. <coughs> oh my goodness! <clears throat> and that was a shocking diagnosis, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it turned out also to be an entirely inaccurate prognosis because he ended up living for a further 12, 12 years beyond that point. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's about as wrong as you can get, <laughs> <Yeah>. isn't it? <laughs> um, but at the time, we got the phone call. We didn't know that, so I jumped yeah. immediately on a plane I see. and returned to New Zealand. And wow. um, literally, that, that was it. I'd moved, ended that period of t- our lives in Is that right? England. Yeah, yeah so you didn't there. go back? No, huh. no. Um, well, we've visited since, but yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't return but, but to that, live. But that phone call, jumping on a plane, yep. it wasn't sort of a go for a couple of days and then return no, to your life. Came wow. back to um, care for my dad and my and my family. Yeah. Um, so I ended up moving back to Dunedin with uh, my, my husband. My um, at that point wasn't my husband, but um, 
as I say, years now, um, he came back, eventually joined me back in Dunedin, and mm-hmm. we had um, a neat few years in Dunedin, mm-hmm. uh, again working as journalists in Dunedin. Right. Yeah. And initially it was caring for your father? or uh, Not, not reason, actively, or? no. We've no. got a, uh, we're very fortunate to have a wonderful health service who does that a lot better than I could. Um, but yes, was there to be close to my family. And then yeah. Dad um, uh, got better for a period of time, 12 years specifically, and... Um, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So that was that was neat. How did this is maybe a odd question, but how did he change in the in those twelve years from before that diagnosis? Because being told you have two days to live, and then being given a bonus of twelve yeah. years, like did, did it impact him? Do you think? Or? Oh yeah, it did. I mean, it, it <clears throat> our dad was quite childlike for his entire life, with right. this sort of child's sense of curiosity for his entire life. So that that was maintained but when you're not sure how long you're going to live I think it's further enhanced so mm-hmm. he he really did then become it was a very creative period of his life he did a lot of beautiful art mm-hmm. um, he uh, uh, learned to sew and um, typically of my father did sew at a very high level and made these beautiful suits and so it was just an intense creative period for mm-hmm. him and you so you noticed the change between those two Oh, before and after. Yeah, but oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was always creative. Yeah, always just living <laughs> it's day just, to day. It, it kept coming out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. It's just, it, you know, when you think about life, the reality is our lives are a, a, a blink, aren't they? Yeah. But, but we don't, in the day-to-day, we don't confront that or, or think about it. But if you're given a diagnosis, you have two days left, you know, it throws everything into sharp relief, doesn't yeah. it, in terms of yeah. priorities and relationships and family and all those things. Yeah, I think so. For for me, um, I've always had a reasonably, um, I suppose some would view it as a, a nihilist view that, you know, we, humans, um, I think we overstate our importance. We're on, on the planet for a re- relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, the arc of life is reasonably predictable. So you've just got to do well while you've got mm. um, the advantages that we have, which is being alive for a period of time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the only way to approach it. Really. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so you're back in Dunedin and um, working as a journalist yep. and sort of I guess what what came next and because I, I think you went to the Middle East as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll whip through the next few years. Um, I met. Um, uh, a, a chap called Paul Thompson, who is now the chief executive of Radio New Zealand, who um, became very important in my life for a number of years at a conference in Australia, a, a media conference. And he, at that time, was editor of the press and had only just um, recently become editor of the press at mm-hmm. that time. And he asked me to come and work for him here in Christchurch. Okay. And um, so I moved from Dunedin, to my, um, my husband and I moved from Dunedin to Christchurch. and. Um, we, I became the, I think at the time, deputy chief reporter of the press, which mm-hmm. is a sort of middle tier management mm-hmm. position within a newsroom. Mm-hmm. And um, that was just such a cool time. Paul was hugely influential in my life. He's an incredibly um, uh, uh, a beautiful human and a wonderful, wonderful journalist and mm-hmm. deeply, and also manager and deeply committed to, to the values of journalism. Mm-hmm. And so he- So what are the specific things that that outwork because that's a great description of someone I'd love to unpack a little bit more like what is it that you appreciate about him um, he is very considered he doesn't ever take a rash decision uh, or if he does it's based on a you know deep level of experience and mm. uh, intellect he um, is very fair he's very committed to the values of journalism around fairness mm-hmm. and truth and honesty and integrity and transparency mm-hmm. and um, he's great fun and we just had some wonderful conversations over the years and mm-hmm. he's remained a very important person mm-hmm. in my life mm-hmm. that's yeah. great I always love to unpack a little bit about the people who are influential you know because very often we gloss over and but each of us you know none of us are fully formed the way we are there's yeah. so many influences and very often I find that you forget to go back and thank those people who, yeah. who shaped you. So yeah, it's, yeah. I always just love to unpack a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so you're working as a journalist there. Um, just talk to me a little bit more about the role of journalism as, as you saw it or you see it. Well, I think um, journalism and the role of the press in particular in Christchurch 
has been that it's an incredibly influential publication and has been over mm-hmm. um, hundred more than 155 years now mm-hmm. and that it um, deeply reflects the preoccupations of the community of which there are many mm-hmm. <laughs> and Christchurch is a community that loves to debate issues and, and always has and this, this lovely history around some of the big debates Christchurch has had mm-hmm. uh, over the over many generations um, and the one, as I said before, one of the one, the great things about journalism is that you become a part of that because you're reflecting those stories back to the community about which those stories are, are about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's very circular. And as a consequence, you know a lot and you know a lot of people and you understand what makes a community tick and you really get into the heart of a community and that's mm. amazing. Mm. So it sounds like you get as a journalist, you get to see uh, a city beyond the infrastructure and the roads and the buildings and the things. What you're talking about is more the heartbeat of the actual, the, the blood circulating, yeah, I guess. Yeah, the, the, that's right, the characters who make the city. Mm-hmm. And um, a, lo- a lot of people don't have the, the, the one-on-one or, or um, you know, that, that sort of genuine interaction with those people. So it's really nice mm-hmm. to... Mm-hmm. It's a, great treat yeah oh that's good yeah one of the things as as we're having this interview um particularly in certain parts of the world there's been major polarization between political viewpoints and you're either for us or against us there's never a middle ground and i think one of the roles that journalism can play is to is to actually present evenly (laughs) different points of view rather than being purely a hundred percent this way or this way. Which if it's done well. And I yeah. think that's always the challenge for mm. journalists, and particularly when you're working on tight je- deadlines and um, the digital era has made those deadlines much, much tighter than they were historically. Mm. You, it, It's easy to fall into a trap of an adversar- adversarial style of journalism where mm. you ha- um, present a particular position and then you go and find someone who disagrees with that and that's considered a story. Right. Um, and that's very, very much not a story. It, yeah. It's... Um, making sure that you've considered where possible the range of views mm-hmm. and presented those in a way that allows the reader to make up their own mind. Mm-hmm. And I guess, um, you know, there's long-form journalism versus short-form because the reality is there's limited space on the page. Yeah. Yeah. So there will be word limits of 600 words for an article or something like that, you know, to to try to condense and fit everything in. That must be a challenge. Yeah, well, it's certainly in the print era that was. Um, these days, not so much because there's no word limit on the internet, but it's actually a time constraint that creates that, that same constraint. So yep. it's, the, it's still there. Um, and that will be that a story's broken and you've got 15 minutes to file it right. and publish it to your audience. And that yeah. creates that same challenge in yeah. terms of balance. Because people are clicking on the latest headline. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think um, I've always viewed um, the media as a blunt instrument in the sense that it um, it doesn't get everything right uh, immediately. But on the whole, I believe the media in New Zealand, um, if you form a picture of the dots of all of the stories, it gets societal, societal understanding to the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Middle East because I'd love to hear about your experience there. Yeah, so super, super quick. Um, we... Um, in 2007, um, uh, my husband and I, Blaine, had our first child, mm-hmm. um, our daughter Evie, and um, at that time we were sort of trying to work out how we were going to make parenthood and work and this kind of crazy mix work, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think we're quite honest enough as a society about what it actually takes to have two careers and children and mm-hmm. some of the kind of trade-offs that you that you are going to need the to sacrifices, make. sacrifices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they're, they're really there. And we, you know, we go into our university degrees thinking, yeah, we can do anything we like, which is sort of true, but we can't do it all at once, and we mm. need to be quite realistic about mm. that. So we um, there's a, there's needs to be a realization of how important the first few years of a child's life are absolutely. as well. Isn't it? Exactly <laughs> it's not just right. um, the baby's born; it's a it, add-on to my existing <laughs> yeah. exist. You know, we're still going to go out to this movie, and we're going to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of gets even more real after the birth, just yeah. for all you people thinking about having kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a big commitment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we sort of were like, oh, gosh, our lives um, potentially could become quite a lot smaller. So we decided to move to Abu Dhabi, which um, at the time we hadn't even heard of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way it. to make your yeah. next life decision. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'd heard of Dubai. So what, were you throwing a dart at the map? No, <laughs> we had, um, we'd been approached by a friend who was involved in a project of setting up a new media company okay. in Abu Dhabi. Mm. And um, so it was an intriguing project which brought together journalists from all around the world, from really, really wonderful publications around the world, mm-hmm. set up this newsroom in the desert. <laughs> and it was at a time when Abu Dhabi itself was um, really developing and, mm. and um, putting in some of the building blocks for what it is now. Um, and um, sort of purchasing overseas brands in many ways to, to establish itself as a, a, a credible international city. Mm-hmm. So at the time it, they were looking at the Guggenheim and F1 and they were doing some amazing work around um, uh, uh, what uh, sus- uh, sustainability looked like in a city environment and some mm-hmm. quite interesting stuff that you can afford to do when you have a large oil reserve. Yeah, and there's a few billions of yeah. funds <laughs> <laughs> sloshing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so so that wow. was was really interesting. And part of that was working out what a free media looked like hmm. in a non-democratic environment. So we went there. Um, the editor um, was a guy called Martin Newland, who had been the editor of The Telegraph, and he brought together journalists from across leadership teams, mm. um, from the New York Times, Washington Post, you know, all these big media brands, wow. and, and a lot of the British publications as well. And then, um, you know, a couple of green-eyed Kiwis from <laughs> from New Zealand. Yeah. So across we went, and we um, were involved in this really amazing experiment, setting up this media company and mm-hmm. newspaper um, and its corresponding website um, and that was really neat and we spent um, a few years there had my son over there mm-hmm. and um, at that time two very young children we thought we, we had this sort of crazy notion that we wanted to raise them as Kiwis mm-hmm. rather than expats because mm-hmm. that was sort of we suddenly became part of this itinerant expat community and that was an option available to us yeah but we were yeah, got I've got some friends who are still in that cycle they're yeah in, they're in yeah, dubai but, but they've been there now for like six or seven years and yeah 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 not and, sure <laughs> and they tend to bounce um that community tends to bounce around that's right um, yeah other before that they were in tokyo and before that yeah yeah so, yeah they do hong kong mm-hmm. and then you know, yeah Han i was i was actually part of that community because i was in london then tokyo for a while and so yeah it was i know what you're talking about yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, it's a, a very it's a bubble bubble world that's yeah. how we always felt like this isn't real life here and is this really like you say is this what we want for our kids that's so. exactly it and yeah. um, kids in international schools which again are a certain set of you know a certain strata of the global community mm-hmm. and we sort of felt like we were doing journalism for good reasons and we were we were reporting for the first time on the UAE parliament for example which had never been freely reported on and right. it was a really really cool cool period of our lives but it did feel that we if we were going to use our skills, we should do so to the benefit of our own community. Mm-hmm. And also we, we had these weird, this weird notion of wanting to um, mow our lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Something green. <laughs> yes, kind of feels stupid now, but <laughs> because of course everything in those expat communities is done for you. Yes. And we had a live-in nanny, for example, yes. and um, people yeah, you look back on those days, right? And think, what what were we thinking? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why did we complain about that? <laughs> yeah. But you know, so, so it's cool. It's cool fun, but it's not real. Yeah. Uh, so we came home and successfully mowed our lawn and painted right. our house and <laughs> stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, which we're doing to this day. Yeah. 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 yeah it never, never stops, does it? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's when you got, came back to the press, is that no, right? No, no, came then back to Wellington, worked oh, okay. at the Dominion Post. Um, I was assistant editor at the Dominion Post, and um, both my husband and I worked on um, uh, the website, mm-hmm. and that was still quite early days of digital journalism. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, again, really neat to be part of that movement and understanding how social media was going to Im- impact the, the exchange of information, mm-hmm. the way news was shared um, quite differently from the yeah. traditional print distribution model that we'd grown up with. Mm-hmm. So that was a really neat time. And then um, f- all the way through now to 2011, uh, 2012 rather, the earthquakes had happened here. Mm-hmm. Um, the then editor of the press, Andrew Holden, um, became the editor of the Melbourne Age in Melbourne, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I got a call asking whether I'd be interested in coming down to edit the press. Mm-hmm. And it was like, wow, really? Moved to an earthquake devastated city, mm-hmm. very young children. Um, gosh. <laughs> reporting, <laughs> reporting on major issues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you thought long and hard about that? Uh, probably for a half an hour. Okay. Um, <laughs> what an incredible opportunity sure, for a journalist yeah. to report on 
what we hope will be once in a lifetime events. Yeah. Um, that you know the build the the devastation of a city, the complete uh, gutting of a central city, the, the the mass movement of people as a consequence of entire suburbs being uh, mm-hmm. profoundly impacted, and then um, a city that was going to need to lay its building blocks and completely grow into something different is yeah. an incredible professional opportunity and a, an enormously exciting and privilege to be part of. Mm. So you took hold of it, moved yeah. here. Yeah, they, they gave me the job, which was all a bit surprising. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was quite different from uh, what an editor had been previously, right. and um, that was quite daunting coming into um, you know, very established leadership networks within a city. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was a city that was very much dominated by um, what are seen to be um, male industries, engineering, you know, roading type people, people who build things tend mm-hmm. to be male dominated careers. And mm-hmm. I very acutely remember going into, um, you know, sort of networking functions and being the only woman in the room. Right. And it was pretty, pretty weird time. And I was quite young at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, it took a lot of um, like, ooh, <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> Yeah. 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 It would. Yeah. Well, th- there was so much going on. Yeah. At that. At that. You know, yeah. 2012 type of time, wasn't it? Because yeah. there was consultations happening, and there was what's the future going to look like, yeah. and and this and this, and everybody's got a different views, and yeah. yeah. So, what was that experience like then? Just maybe briefly, but being the editor and um, oh, uh, d- incredible, incredible, just such a wonderful experience and um, to be able to play a role in helping shaping um, th- th- how the city perceived itself and um, the decisions that we would make was was incredible mm-hmm. and I, I don't think um, you know I, I don't regret a minute of, it, minute of it although it was also extremely hard period to be a journalist there was mm-hmm. a lot of secrecy uh, a lot of mistrust of the media a lot of anger in our community everywhere we looked there were people who were hurting and who mm. were sad and who were in deeply, deeply vulnerable and damaged as a consequence mm. of uh, the earthquakes of 2010 and 2011. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people who felt they didn't have a voice and that we were the only only outlet that was able to, um, uh, only outlet for them. They felt disenfranchised. Um, uh, there were a lot of top-down decisions being made that people didn't feel a part of. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was hard and, and sad, and and I guess you know at the time, maybe there were reasons for some of them. Like uh, this building has been here for 120 years, but it's actually dangerous. It has to come down yeah. right now. There was no chance for sort of well, it's a heritage. We need to yeah. consult. Let's have some meetings. It was just, it's yeah. that but decision's that, made, and yeah. therefore many and stakeholders, right? So absolutely, it's just so much grief and sadness when the landscape of your life, mm-hmm. you know, it's like looking at the palm of your hand and all of those lines on your hand that you've known your entire life mm-hmm. are gone one mm-hmm. day. And mm-hmm. that's what it was like for the Christchurch community. Mm-hmm. And particularly for the older generation who had lived 50, 60, 70 years mm-hmm. with a city that looked a particular way yes. and no longer did within yeah. just a few days. Yeah. So hard. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, you, so you come back into this role. Can you just describe, like, that role being an editor? It, is that a basically twenty four seven type of role? Because there's constantly news, isn't there? And yeah. you're you're probably constantly having to make decisions yeah. about, let's look at this, do that. Yeah. Oh, there's a something's happened. There's a tsunami in Indonesia. Or the, you know, like yeah. it's it never stops. Does no, it? it doesn't. You're on call twenty four seven, and particularly. Um, in the digital age you're Mm. constantly publishing it's not as if you just have the one or two deadlines that we did in the old days you are Mm. publishing always so there are are decisions that need to be made um, all day every day Um, many of them have legal implications or implications on people's lives and the legal ones are easy actually because um, you know you're guided by by statute and and case law Uh, it's the the ethical ones that are the much harder ones Um, when you know a particular story is going to impact negatively on a person's life but it's an important story to tell right the hard and decisions. That, that comes back to that public interest doesn't yep. it like what's yep. in the public what's good? in the public interest exactly mm. right mm. as distinct from interesting to the public and mm. as you know as a lawyer they're different things yeah well yeah. that's right yeah well i'd love to talk about christchurch itself now in your current role so can you just describe a little bit about what you're doing and and just set the scene for the i think you've been calling it the christchurch narrative and 
and yeah, what's what's going on yeah. today? We're meeting here in your offices. So what's happening? <laughs> yeah, up? we're surrounded by whiteboards. We yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah. listeners can't see it, but yeah. I, I, I'm quite a visual person, so that's <laughs> I, good. I have uh, whiteboards right across my office, and I get to draw things. Yeah. Um, so really briefly, Christchurch NZ is the Economic Development and City Profile Agency for Christchurch. So we are responsible for interpreting what's happening in the economy and um, ensuring that the economy develops in a way that benefits the people of Christchurch. Mm-hmm. So we have a mission statement, which is to ignite bold ambition for Ōtutahi Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And every decision we make, uh, we look at through that that lens. Mm -hmm. How can we make um, Christchurch better and Mm -hmm. therefore improve the lives of the people who live here? Mm -hmm. Part of that um, is uh, telling the story of Christchurch, helping the opportunity of Christchurch be understood right across the world because it's an incredible place to live. We're Mm -hmm. blessed with natural assets here, with beautiful mountains and beautiful beaches and a beautiful city environment. And we also have uh, wonderful opportunities to actually have good careers here and live meaningful lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really helping people understand um, the opportunity of the city that we have built in the post-quake environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are New Zealand's second largest city and are therefore the counterbalance to that gravitational pull towards Auckland, which Mm -hmm. is now straining at the seams. Whereas we have wonderful room to grow. We've built resilient new buildings and um, we've got affordable housing, affordable office space. Mm. So when we sum all of that up, we like to talk about Christchurch as a base camp for exploration, a place where you can truly live the life that you want to live and explore the wonderful natural playground that we have around us. And um, I think it's important and partly or largely because of my background to make sure that the stories we tell are actually authentic and they're not just marketing spin or things we've made up because it's what we, how we'd like to see ourselves. Mm. So we've done a lot of work at Christchurch NZ to talk to people right across the community about what it is that they value in the community. And we keep coming back to this theme of exploration. And people use lots of different words to describe that, whether it's innovation or lifestyle. Fundamentally, it's all about exploring in different ways. Mm-hmm. So now we um, are starting to promote Christchurch globally and also back to itself so that those people who are still suffering within our community or still don't fully understand where we are and how we fit within an international context start to take pride in the city. Mm-hmm. So we've got a number of horizons for our work and, and this short, medium and long term. Short term is um, a focus on building a proud and confident city. So making sure we've got the right city amenities and the right environment and that our economy is recovering sufficiently from the post-quake years. Mm-hmm. And so that's the proud and confident city. And also our CBD is an exciting and vibrant place to be. And we've got a medium-term horizon, which is leveraging those exploration assets, making the most of the four tertiary institutes that we have based here, um, making the most of our connection to the South Island, our global connectivity. And then the, f- the third horizon is a medium to long-term horizon. That's actually building new industry in line with global trends. So, for instance, looking at the opportunity uh, for Christchurch around the space industry. We've got, surprisingly, as um, New Zealand is one of only 11 nations with a space program, we've got a large number of assets based here in Christchurch committed to the space industry. And that sounds crazy when you say it out loud, but Mm. the evidence is there that we have expertise within this community, which is in line with um, the need for humans to move differently around the planet and um, uh, to gain information differently from space. Um, So they are uh, the three horizons, that that short-term focus on building a proud, confident city, medium-term making the most of what we've got and communicating it effectively, Mm. and then long-term leveraging in line with global trends. Mm. And it's it's great. It's it's amazing. And you've come into it. I mean, it it was just established relatively recently, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Because one of the things I'm curious about is the fact that there there was like Canterbury Development Corporation, right? before and it's kind of merged into that which was really focused on economic growth wasn't in business and promoting but then also you're you've got the um tourism Tourism. promotion as well and major events and and conferences and so it, it feels like there's a number of different things how has it been to i guess integrate them or or work out how you focus because any one of those potentially is a <laughs> very big project. Yeah, yeah. Indeed you know, it just was. the tourism itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a multi-headed hydra, I will be honest. It was quite a complicated merger to to oversee. Um, and we've done a lot of work in the last 12 months to really understand what it is that we need to focus on mm-hmm. uh, because there are, there are, we could always do more. Um, but there's a limited amount of funding and... Um, 
so you have to make sure that you're putting your resources into the right places and that means uh, from time to time disappointing people who have have enjoyed a particular service in the past but mm. we've had to be really clear that we everything we do must be to the benefit of the economy and consequently the people mm-hmm. so a really shifting our focus from a very wide range of stakeholders to our primary stakeholders are now the people of Christchurch mm-hmm. and need, anything we do needs to benefit the people of Christchurch mm-hmm. oh that's good and Christchurch and said the name previously there was sort of Canterbury development you know Canterbury was the name um, obviously, that's a deliberate shift <laughs> to to focus on Christchurch, but you're also focused on the wider region as well. Is that, yeah, that's so th- right? there's an enormous interdependency between the Christchurch economy and the Canterbury economies, yeah. and um, it's impossible to um, y- you know to act as if there's an artificial boundary there. Th- there's not. Mm-hmm. Um, we are wholly owned by the Christchurch City Council, and a large portion of our funding comes from the Christchurch City Council mm-hmm. as well as. Um, commercial partners and central government. Uh, so we, we need to be very careful how we spend ratepayer money. So we have said, yes, we are focused on Christchurch mm-hmm. City, mm-hmm. Um, but we will focus on Canterbury where it benefits the people of this city. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the future, you know, what's your vision, say, in 10 years or 20 years? Like, what's your dreams or hopes um, as an individual, as maybe as well as the, as yeah. the organisation. Okay, well, I, I'm going to answer that in two ways. One, I have dreams and hopes, which are you know those lovely soft things about Christchurch being viewed as an exciting place to live, attractive to people from around the world, and and, and a, a beautiful place to live for our local residents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've had to be much more um, focused than that because the, the dream and the vision is one thing, but uh, until you actually put some hard targets around that, people don't know where you're going. So we have done a lot of work to say, well, what actually, as a community, what where do we want to be? What are the numbers that we want to put against that? And let's put those numbers out there. And when we put them out there, we will be held to account to those. And that's that's a little bit scary. Um, so we have uh, set some 10-year goals around population. We want to grow the population by 100,000 over the next 10 years, which is... Um, uh, averaged out 10,000 a year. We're currently growing at around 5,000 a year, so we want to double uh, the growth of the population over the next 10 years. We want to grow can, uh, Christchurch's proportion of the national economy so that we're a greater share of the overall economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to grow the perception of Christchurch with both our residents and our visitors, and we've got some specific measures around how we are perceived uh, both internationally and locally that we want to shift the dial on. And we want to grow the portion of the visitor economy because that in turn contributes to the overall economy. Mm-hmm. So all of those things mean it's very, very important that people understand the opportunity of Christchurch and mm-hmm. just how, how how many good things we have going on here. Mm-hmm. But also that they get robust, accurate information about where some of the challenges are. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we do. We um, uh, provide analysis of the economy. We um, uh, work to put that information out for the public to consider so that conversation doesn't just happen within this organisation or the others within the city, but it actually happens out in the community. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing a lot of work with local media to make sure that we're giving them the information that's useful so these conversations actually end up mm-hmm. in the publications that are read by our community. Mm. Seems to me, so as you know, I lived overseas for a number of years, about 11 years working in different places as a lawyer. And my wife and I looked at each other one day, we've got four young kids, and we said, where do we want to be when we retire? You know, it was yeah. that sort of a big life question type thing. Yeah. Um, and we thought, actually, we want to be in New Zealand. Okay, we're in New Zealand. Auckland's bigger, as you've pointed out. Yeah. Wellington, we both lived in. We love Wellington, it's great. But we felt like Christchurch was um, a chance to be part of building a new community and that actually there was a lot of exciting things that was happening, which meant that some of the the older ways of thinking maybe were also um, torn down (laughs) or challenged as part of of that rebuilding process. That's that's that theme of exploration, isn't it? You you saw an opportunity to be part of the exploration of what we could be. But also, I I think it's really important to acknowledge the history of Christchurch and that Mm. we've always had this uh, people within this community who have been prepared to push boundaries and even the decision to move here by um, the early Māori and European settlers, that in itself was a very special form of exploration and mm-hmm. being the leaping off point for um, exploration of the Antarctic, Scott and Shackleton, mm-hmm. they started their journeys here. And, yeah. you know, So we've got this deep 
this sort of deep core within us that the, the exploration of the Southern Alps. Um, Sir Edmund Hillary uh, did a lot of his training work here um, because of the proximity to the Southern Alps. All of that is actually part of who we are, and we, we don't always even recognise or realise that. So mm. retelling those stories is actually mm. a really important part of our future story as well. Yeah, I agree. Stories is the key, isn't it? Yeah, so it yeah. connects the people. Yeah. And I think if if you can emphasise particularly, you know, because there must be lots of expats, the ones that we were just describing, yeah. who are maybe listening to this in London, in Singapore, in New York or whatever, and thinking, actually, maybe it's time to go home and presenting them with the opportunity yeah, that yeah. Here's, here's a destination yeah. for you. Come and be part of it. It's yeah. just cool fun. And yeah. and you can actually have um, a big influence because we are still a, a reasonably small community in, in global yeah. terms. Yeah, oh, exactly. And then the second thing I think is fascinating is technology, which we talked about before, and the, the speed of change that we're seeing, where somebody maybe right now they're working in Silicon Valley, they could easily do the same job based here. Exactly. And yet be skiing, be swimming, you know, surfing, all those things. Exactly. And, and I think that's going to be fascinating to watch as people realize, um, you know, that they could be based in, in a country that has the natural beauty. That's right. And yet still do the job that they... And a stable political environment and mm. um, an environment where there is not cor- corruption within local or central government and you know, yeah. all of those good things that make New Zealand a, a great place to live. Yeah. Um, you know, are relevant to the global community. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, it's great um, to hear about what you're doing and getting the stories out. Um, I'll put some links into the show notes so people can click and find out more um, because, yeah, there's various articles and information I know. Um, So, yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to share about? No, um, that's a great point. If people do want to find out more about Christchurch, ChristchurchNZ.com is um, a great place to start your reference point and get a bit of an idea uh, some of the authentic stories that are happening here. And, you know, I just want to reflect on that word story because we've used it a lot. Um, Story for some people implies fiction. For me, story is truth. It's authenticity. It's telling accurate stories about our community and helping Mm -hmm. people understand those and as a consequence understand um, the opportunities. And that's so cool yeah oh that's great well this this is a form of story right here so um thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it it's been fascinating to hear about your your journey i just love i just love the background there of what's led to what you're doing now because i can i can kind of trace through you know like even being in cambridge and 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 reporting on the community there and and seeing wellington back when they were doing their promotion and what you've sort of taken from those experiences. So um, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great fun. Great. Thank you. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview with Joanna. For me, what stuck out was her comments about journalism and the role that it plays in our society. And I also really liked hearing about the future of Christchurch. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider checking out some of the earlier ones as well, because this was the 85th one. Until next time. (music)